Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In all these relationships, we've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I've publicly done things that were not acceptable as a husband. But right now, today, for whatever reason, I didn't know I was gonna be standing right here. I didn't know I was gonna be in front of this mic. But I'm here to change that narrative. I'm not letting E write the narrative of my family. I'm not letting Hulu write the narrative of my family. I'm not letting Disney write the narrative of my family. Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry. Hi, I'm back. I took a little bit of a break due to Thanksgiving and just feeling like, damn, maybe I should take one day off of this podcast because I'm usually dedicating at some point every day something to the show. Now, granted, this I don't want it to come off as a complaint. I love it. And frankly, I was a little bit itching to get back. But damn, a vacation? We love her. (laughs) So I hope you guys uh, got to take some time off, got some time to yourself, got away from your family if you needed to be, or got with your family if you like them. Whatever you needed, I hope we got it. And as we get into the end of the year, I truly can't believe it. Yeah, just like go, go into it. Go into this. I want you, I'm going to be challenging all of you to go into the end of the year so self-indulgent and treating yourself as much as you can and really just like end this year on a high on a high um let's get into the episode where you know it's just lows just more and more lows <laughs> so let's get into it um first of all i talked to 
Donnie and Quinn of the Know That podcast. We talked about Salt Lake City. We talked about Potomac last week. So check that out. It was so much fun to talk to them. Yeah, again, check out Know That Pod. And let's start off with girl. Let's start off with a girl. (sighs) You guys. I mean, it should go without saying. You guys know that one Kanye Omari, a.k.a. Yay West, is... Uh, just like a perennial girl. He is top three girl of the year, girl of lifetime girl. He's in lifetime girl status. I just, <sighs> I'm, I'm just so exhausted, tired, tired and exhausted with this man. Um, but because of that, I try not to really talk about him that much because I know he's dealing with things, but <sighs> Every now and again, he gets me, and I have to say something, and he got me this week. You guys, he got me. Um, it was a slow news week because of the holidays, so, you know. I just Kanye, just so you know, had it not been for the holidays and there being pretty, pretty much nothing else to talk about, I wouldn't be doing this, sir. But here we are. Um, so, Kim and Pete are blanker than ever. They're continuing to do whatever it is that they're doing. I'm still getting a hearty chuckle out of the whole situation. Um, Kanye, not so much. (laughs) So he, I caught this on Instagram stories. He, this person went on Instagram and he posted a picture of he and Kim locking lips, both wearing um, like love after lockup style attire. I'm sure it was like very expensive, but also, you know, at the end of the day, sweats are sweats. Um, and it's in sepia tone. It's like, you know, the, the, the emotion attempting to be evoked from this. Sorry, it's not in sepia. It's in black and white. So he has this picture of them looking like they're, you know, extras off the set of holes tags, Kim Kardashian and TMZ. And so under the picture of him and Kim kissing, it is a headline from TMZ that says, Kanye West says God will bring Kim and him back together and inspire millions. And I have to say that Kanye West is 44 years old. Okay. Now I'm 35 and I believe it is my opinion that the cutoff for um, sweeping grandiose. And by that, I mean um, Instagram uh, pr- pronouncements and professments of your love for the wife that is trying to divorce you and is currently insert adjective here with Pete Davidson. Um, it's sad, baby. That's sad. I would say no, thank you. And like I tweeted, I would be en route to Laura Wasser's office immediately, immediately, if not sooner. Um, So, on top of this Instagram story, Kanye, Jesus, Kanye went to Skid Row on Thanksgiving. Something that we all know should be something that if you're going to be a celebrity going to Skid Row, a famous area in Los Angeles that is um, a, uh, has houses, not really houses, but has a collective of unhoused people a collective of addicts and people that are down on their luck to put it kindly. 
Um, when a celebrity shows up on Thanksgiving, I would say the protocol would be give us a turkey and leave, bitch, you know? But that did not happen on that day. And unfortunately, these people who already have enough in their lives going on had to listen to Kanye in the silliest little outfit that I could ever just imagine. It's like your dad's old black leather zip up jacket from 1989 um, leggings <laughs> and some rain boots, gloves. I don't know why it, he looks wild, but he went on a rant in front of all of these people and said, the narrative God wants is to see that we can be redeemed in all of these relationships. We've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I've publicly done things that were not acceptable as a husband, like, you know, crying about how my wife wanted to abort our firstborn baby and uh, referring to her mother as uh, a famous, uh, horrific leader of North Korea. Um, He, it just goes on and on about how he wants to get back together with Kim. And he then, you know, after saying that I've said things and done things publicly that I shouldn't have, goes on to blast her major means of uh, fame and uh, uh, well-being for the past decade plus and talking about how I'm not letting E write the narrative of my family. Well, <laughs> too late for that, for that, sir. Um, I'm not letting Hulu write the narrative of my family again. Too late for that. Cameras are up on that one. I'm not letting Hulu write the narrative of my family. I'm the priest of my home. Are you? I don't think you even live there anymore. He goes on to tell these homeless people about how he was able to buy a house next to Kim's house and how great that was and how he's trying to get his family back together. And then the article from page six goes on to say, West, seemingly realizing how random his speech may have been coming off added, I'm trying to express this in the most sane way, the most calm way possible, but I need to be back home. He said to a crowd of people who don't have homes and don't give a fuck about whatever is going on in his marriage. He goes on to say, you know, peppering it in with facts about how he wanted to come here to fight, to end the fight against homelessness. Did I say that right? End the fight against homelessness. I don't think that's right. <laughs> Y'all know what I mean. To, yeah, that's not right. <laughs> to, to stop homelessness, we'll put it that way. He goes on to say, if the enemy can separate Kim Ye, you are the enemy. There's going to be millions of families that feel like separation is okay. But when God brings Kim Ye together, there's going to be millions of families that are going to be influenced to see that they can overcome the work of separation, of trauma the devil has used to capitalize to keep people in misery while people step over homeless people to go to the Gucci store. Yeah, he said that. He said that. This dude told a bunch of unhoused people on Thanksgiving... That his, the potential of getting back together with Kim Kardashian is going to inspire millions of people to not only try to work things out within their own relationships, but to stop stepping over them to go to the Gucci's. What? Like, even taking into account all of the things, it's still a big yikes for me, dog. 
the other aspect of this that I find so interesting is that his reaction. Because when Kanye and Kim were still fully married, and he even thought that there was a possibility that Drake may have DM'd her or looked at her in some type of suggestive way, sent an emoji that he shouldn't have, drove past her house, breathed in her general direction. Even the thought of that to Kanye made him form this years-long, <laughs> multiple people involved beef with Drake that just ended like a couple weeks ago. To counter that with Kim publicly being out with Pete and him just being so emotional about getting his family back. And let's add on to that, that this dude has a whole ass girlfriend and has for months. He's dating some 22 year old model for a while now on top of him dating Irina Shake, but somehow Dusty Pete Davidson has really got this man simping hard publicly, publicly, to people who don't care. So that is very interesting to me. And I'm very interested to see how this is playing out. Now, I know a lot of you guys are saying that, you know, whatever is happening in the world of the Kardashians at this point is a direct response and a counter to what happened with Astroworld. This, I have to tell you, is not one of those situations for me. Um, I just have a lot of questions. <laughs> we'll go, we'll, we'll um, leave it at that. Um, what I didn't see, though, this is how you really would know it's real. I didn't, I didn't spend my time looking through their IG stories, but I did check on Google and I did not find any information. I don't think Pete was at Chris's house for Thanksgiving. And that's really how you know when shit's real. I didn't I don't did not see a screenshot of a a place setting of a turkey themed gingerbread house with his name on it. Uh I didn't see uh any sort of uh specialized whatever. I'm waiting for Christmas and that's how we're really going to know it's real. Once we see his name on a tag that was written by one of Chris Jenner's assistants. That's how you'll know. That's how we'll all know. And by the way, just to wrap this all up on a high note, run, don't walk to TikTok, you guys. Somehow Penelope and North have talked their mothers into getting them TikToks. And so if you want to check out what is clearly some poor assistant's work uh, of editing all of these TikToks, you can go to... At P and Court and at Kim and North. These are real. These are so delightful to see Kim and her interaction with North and how they just like play around. (laughs) And they're just like riding around on the golf cart being like going to In-N-Out. We're going to the mall, girls. Like it's just so funny. It's a side of them that I've never seen well, I should say it's a side of Kim that I've never seen because you really don't see Courtney in Penelope's videos, but that's neither here nor there. But yeah, Run, Don't Walk, it is so funny. And I truly, like, I can't imagine the person who is having to sit there and edit a, what, nine-year-old, ten-year-old Penelope's day in the life in which she is, like, getting an espresso. 
and rubbing her face with a jade roller. I, I, I'm living. I'm living for it. I love it. And with that, you guys, we're going to keep it short because I have a lot of catching up to do. We have a lot of catching up to do um, with the shows that I did not recap in while I was off. So Married at First Sight, Winter House. I think that might be it because there was no Vanderpump oh, Rules. Okay. Who's out, who's Let's get Kick it. Us. <laughs> we went to Chicago. Well, first we went to Cancun together. Yeah, we went to oh. Cancun. Sorry. and Johnny. Uh... That sounds weird. So you had a chance to hang out on Cancun. Merely, you and Johnny are just BFFs now. We're besties. We do hang out a lot, because I feel like I, I get Mirla, she gets me. Gil, what do you think of the friendship now? <laughs> no comment. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Wow. Married at First Sight is over. Oh, I have like a headache just thinking about it. <laughs> Did I like this season altogether? I would give it maybe a 6.75 out of 10. I didn't even realize until a few days ago that this might be... Well, it's the first season in my Married at First Sight journey that none of the couples really made it. The most that we got was Rachel and Jose saying at some point during this part two that they hang out two to three times a week with a one night sleepover and that they're looking to increase that. So that is what we're working with. Um, Rachel made it very clear that she was not going to be moving in back into Casa de budget until uh, she was sure. So gosh, what a flop. What an, what a flop <laughs> this whole season has been. Um, also, I don't know why I thought they were going to be in San Diego next season. They're actually going to be in Boston, back to Boston. I Did I watch a Boston season? Was that the one? No, that was Philly with Stephanie. Um, I think I have seen Boston. Was that where... I've seen it. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Suffice to say, I've seen it and I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I'm really looking forward to it. So anyway, um, let's get into it. We start off where we left off last episode, where there's this merry-go-round of Zach and Michaela being on stage and backstage and on stage and backstage and Zach being adamant about wanting to be on stage during Michaela's segment. But then when it comes down for him to talk, he says that she had her moment and then he's allowed to have his moment, even though I don't really know what other questions Kevin was going to ask Zach. It seemed like they had pretty much wrapped his segment before they asked Michaela to come back on. But anyway, they basically refused to film together. So that's really that on that. At one point, Zach keeps talking or like making these side comments to Kim Michaela about like, Oh, if you really want to talk, then you can unblock me. And then I think at one point there was a brief interaction between them backstage in which Zach says to Michaela, like, basically he just keeps trying to say, like, if you want to have these conversations, then we can have it in private. And I feel like this bolsters my opinion that that man is manipulative, that that man was trying to do uh, dirty deeds off camera and manipulate her and you know he couldn't do that he was totally out of control and what we saw from zach this whole segment where it was a man that was out of control and he was flipping out at the possibility of something going not the way he planned 
So we finally get to Zach sitting on the couch, Michaela backstage. We've officially landed on that. And Kevin asks Zach about Michaela's claims about her living with him for a week. He says, absolutely, that is not true. And then his explanation is a very Zach-like explanation. So by that, I mean, no matter how many times I read it, it's really not going to make sense to you because we don't live, we don't exist on this plane. It's almost as though there was like a ripple in time and a wrinkle in time. Yeah. (laughs) A shift in the chasm and like some other version of Zach ended up on this plane. And so he keeps trying to explain things to us that exist in his planet, but we're on a different wavelength as Zach. And I think that might be what happened. I think there's some sort of time shift and Zach scuttlebutted his way through it. Anyway, his explanation for Michaela staying the week is that after decision day, and I thought this was so shitty, he goes into full, I'm the victim slash hero thing. He loves being the martyr and martyring himself. So he tells a story about how he wanted to talk to Michaela, or no, that he was done after decision day when he said that he was divorcing the day, but still wanted to have a relationship with her. Apparently he was officially done and, and had decided he was never going to speak to her again. But then he spoke to her again and then he drove her home because he said that she had been drinking a little too much And during that drive, Michaela flipped out, ended up slamming her fist against uh, the driver, the passenger side window and said something about her job. And so St. Zach decided to take her in, okay, and give her a place to lay her wigs down. He says that he didn't want to abandon her and... Then he says that during that week, they were intimate four times. So you're telling us that you went into decision day saying that you want to divorce the past, but you still want to stay together with no concept of why people are saying when you're saying divorce, it doesn't make sense that you still want to be with her. Then 20 minutes later, after that, you said you're backstage and you were completely done with her. And then about five seconds later, you end up driving her home. And then about 10 minutes after that, you end up letting her move into your house for a week. And then during the course of those seven days, you sleep with her four times. Zach's reason for having sex with Michaela was because he felt like he kept rejecting her. And he felt bad about that. You know what, like, I just don't know if Gen Z deserves a chance, you know, because he's 27 and I don't know from this, okay? I don't, in in whose mind does this make sense to other than Chris from last season? (laughs) This is straight out of the Chris handbook um, of fuckboys who want failing Subway franchises This is some shit like, oh, I just felt so bad for rejecting her all the time that I fucked her four times. What? What? So y'all see what I mean when I say that every motivation in Zach's life with regard to Michaela 
has to do with his ability to get his penis in her vagina. And if that he can't do that, then he wants nothing to do with her. And if he can, then there's always some wiggle room in her vagina. It's so weird that he does not understand how this comes off to people. And he has no concept that this is confusing, annoying, infuriating at times, and stupid, most of all. Zach is absolutely insistent that he does not understand or that he is not leading Michaela on. So Kevin is like trying to break that down to him and says, okay, you sit there. You're saying that like, you're, you're saying all these really nice things about Michaela. She's saying, I love you. Do you understand how that might be confusing to her? And he's like, well, no, cause I don't really believe that when she says, I love you. <laughs> Okay, that's not really, like, up to you to decide. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I just don't believe that she loves me when she says it because you don't love her. That's why. Because you say I love you and you don't mean it. Um, He's so weird. He's such a weird guy. Ugh. And for all of, like, me flashing back and thinking back on how I did not clock that Johnny was weird as fuck from the beginning, I am patting myself on the back because... Let the record reflect that I said Zach was weird from jump. And I hate that I was right about that, but I also, you know, like, there's a sick part of me that loves to be right. So, you know, there's that. Anyway, um, so Kevin says, let's be honest, on decision day, you said glowing things about Michaela, like about how she was the most amazing woman next to your own mother. Remember that? And Zach agrees. And he's like, you know, I did so things, say those things about how great she was and how committed I was, but... I just don't understand how that would be leading her on. He literally said that. I don't understand. The package ends with him saying that he's afraid to get married now. Again, making himself the victim and the hero. Like, oh, you know, after this, golly gosh, I don't even know, like, if I want to get married after all of this. And, you know, I do want to have kids. I just don't know if, like, marriage is for me. Like, maybe this isn't for me. Because I'm a bit so hurt. Uh fuck off. Anyway, he goes on to say like, you know, if Michaela needs me for anything, I'll be there for her. Except for right now. When I ran at the sight of her. Like 10 minutes ago. Okay. Anyway, we're moving on to Johnny and Bao. <laughs> Johnny, Bao, and excuse me, whatever um little pieces of eyelashes that Mirla gave Johnny to put into his hair to make it a little fuller. That's what, that's who is on this couch. So Kevin asks if they would agree with the audience's opinion about them seeming like the perfect couple from jump and bow comes right out the gate and was like, no, I would not agree with that because I think there were some fundamental differences and ultimately we were similar, but similar in ways that were not complimentary to each other. But then Bao does admit that there were some great moments and Mike Michaela, she says that the wedding day was the best day of her life and their month anniversary when they went skydiving was like a really great moment. And then there was this terrifying extended clip of their naughty nurse patient role play. And I just could not take seeing Johnny stomach down on the couch, legs kicked up and his little no show Socks just like, just up in akimbo, 
I, I could not take it. I don't know what set me off about that, but I didn't like it. Um, so anyway, we get to try to like figure out and navigate whatever it is that Johnny's issues are. So we know that Johnny had been hinting this whole time. He's been dropping hints that uh, Bao is somehow underhanded, shady, shifty, doing things behind the scenes or not being truthful about who she really is. So now this was the moment. Now let's put some uh, perspective under this. This is four months after decision day, which puts us well into this season airing. Um, so yeah, let, let's keep that in mind. What I'm trying to say here is that he's had plenty of time. All of these people have had plenty of time to come up with their responses, gauge audience reaction, go all up into Reddit, see what people are saying for them about them, and come prepared to answer any and all questions, right? So now we're getting to the final moment where Johnny is supposed to make his case for what is it that Bao had been doing, because like Lindsay and I said last week, it just seems very odd that we have not seen not one shred of evidence of this alleged uh, underhanded behavior on Bao's part. Not once. So now Johnny can just mention it all. Just go on the couch, spread your legs like Bethany Frankel, and mention it all, right? And here's what Johnny tells us. Johnny starts off by saying that early on they had agreed to keep their arguments and certain topics off camera because Bao told him that she has a lot of social anxiety. And then Johnny says, looking back, I wish that I had not done that because there was so much missing of our story. So Kevin asked the million dollar question, what, what was missing? <laughs> and when he, Johnny hesitates, Bao says, no, like, really, what is it? Say what's ever on your mind, whatever's on your mind. Like, what were you talking about? What happened off camera that was so different from being on camera? So Johnny's still hesitating. And then she says, okay, do you want me to say something? I'll, I'll tell you right now. Like, I told you that I didn't want to talk about our sex life on camera. So it really wasn't even a real revelation on Johnny's part. This was Bao outing herself as what? Not wanting to talk about your dick in, on camera. Oh, Oh, oh no. Oh, please. Bao readily admits that she's worried about how it comes off with her family and her coworkers. She's worried about her career and all of that, but she doesn't feel like that's calculating or duplicitous behavior on her part. To which America says, ding, ding, ding. Correct, Bao. We all agree. We all agree. Kevin asks, if they had not been honest about the timing of them consummating their marriage and Bao says, yeah, I just wasn't really ready to talk about our sex life. Now they mentioned it. I feel like within the first, did they leave the, the, well, who knows? Who cares? I feel like they mentioned it pretty early on. So to act like this was like something so crazy that she held back on, like, I, you know, whatever. Bao's like, yeah, we absolutely were not honest about when we had sex. I wasn't comfortable. And I own that. 
Johnny is like, well, you know, you have your perspective and I have mine. And, you know, from my perspective, it just feels like you present yourself a certain way to make yourself look good. And Bao says, okay, well, give examples then. Because if whatever you're saying, if because if what you're saying is 100% true, then I probably wouldn't have opened up on some very deep vulnerabilities this season, right? And definitely not with you, which is like the opposite of a space place, safe space is basically like um, going just deep diving headfirst into a, a, a vat of like knives dipped in salt, you know? So <laughs> she's absolutely right. She mentioned stuff about her family, abuse, her issues with her own mental health and how all of that culminates in her life. And so just not wanting to talk about like busting it wide open on camera when she said all of those things to you, to you, her husband or ex-husband, it's wild to act like this is a big thing is that you guys couldn't talk about your sex life. Who cares? You didn't even like her. So then Johnny does his typical Johnny thing, which is to like look down and not really make eye contact, but do kind of like a side eye and says, okay, Bao, have you ever planned a conversation before the show or for the show? And Bao says, no. But then she says, well, by plan a conversation, do you mean plan what I'm going to say going into a serious conversation? Because yeah, I do. Um, do you not? And so Johnny says, no, he doesn't. And Bao says, okay, so you went into every serious conversation that we had, just winging it. <laughs> and so then Johnny says something about not wanting to be fake on camera and how he wanted their entire love story <laughs> to be captured. And a lot of things ended up off camera because he gave in to her and her claims of social anxiety. And because of that, so much of their story was not aired. Which to me just sounds like Johnny doesn't like how he's coming off. And the only thing, the only time he can reference that were good times were times where they were being like sexual with one another. And so he is just grasping at this straw of like, well, you didn't do me a solid. And so like America couldn't see how good I am and how attracted you were to me because we couldn't talk about your sex life, which makes you a fake lying bitch. So Johnny keeps going on about how he felt like he came into this experiment being really open and how he didn't pre-plan anything. And then he says, you know, the only time I feel like I got the real bow was when I caught her off guard. (laughs) And, and just seeing somebody so concerned about how they come come off. It just makes me wonder what you're hiding. What could she have possibly hidden? My guy. So Bao says something about how you see different aspects of me. You might see me with my coworkers and I act one way. You might see me with my friends that I like to discuss politics with. And that's another thing. Or, you know, just how we all present ourselves differently around our different groups of people. Very normal behavior for normal human beings. And Johnny's like, well, it's not about that. It's more about your personality changing. And then he goes on again about how he trusted that Bao would be honest with him. And that during the middle of the process, he just didn't feel it anymore. 
So there you have it, folks. The big reveal that we've all been waiting for is that Bao didn't want to talk about her sex life on camera. Oh, no. Tar? Feathers? Let's go. Um, so then... <laughs> it's just so ridiculous. Like, I could barely even pay attention to that. Um, I just feel like, isn't it pretty crystal clear? And safe to say that Bao would have much, much much rather spoken about her sex life in hindsight than constantly being dunked on by Johnny, the dude that she's married to, who said that he would much rather have been matched with anybody else on the planet and that he's not attracted to her and that he's basically disgusted by the way she likes to uh, flirt and that it's very childlike and and off-putting to him. But okay, okay. (sighs) So then Kevin asked Johnny about saying he felt like he was being manipulated. And Johnny goes on about how there were so many times where, like, I just felt like I couldn't say anything before consulting with my wife. And I just felt like I was drowning. And eventually I was going to lose who I was as a person. Now, for those of you who don't know, we're going to talk about Reddit for a second. There had been, maybe we discussed this last week, how there had been a Reddit post going around in which somebody who claimed to be an anonymous person, who claimed to be... Bao's ex-boyfriend said basically exactly what Johnny is saying now. And at the time that this was posted, a lot of people were like, Johnny, is that you, girl? And this person was very adamant that it was not. But now Johnny is basically, excuse me, echoing the sentiments that this person said. Should I find that post? I'll, I'll find the post so you can compare it to what he just said. Okay, so here's, this was a posted about a month ago. The title is, I dated Bao, she is emotionally abusive. I don't know if it's editing or her behavior, but how she is on the show is 100% fake. And then this person goes on to say, I mean, it is a chunky bit of uh, information, but it starts off by saying, I dated Bao for a few months a few years back. I didn't even know she was on the show until a friend of mine told me recently. I was not someone she was engaged to, But watching the show and seeing her on it has been a very weird experience. Watching the season over the last few days has been great because it completely justified my reasons for leaving her. Bao is not the person you see on camera. The whole show has been traumatizing for me to watch because I understand the issues that Johnny has been going through. Bao is never straightforward with her wants or communication. She has a really bad habit of portraying a certain image in front of people she wants to impress, such as family or friends. And then when you get home or in private, it gets turned around on you. I am not of the same race as she is, so she would constantly gaslight me by saying, you just don't understand. It's literally like dating two different people. Public eye bow wants to do or behave a certain way, or she's so worried about optics or how people betray her, she lies and says things that make her look good. And then when we're on our own and when we get home, everything she just said or everything we just agreed to is wiped out. Bao is a control freak a hundred percent through and through. She's just extremely logical and borderline abusive about it. Any frustrations or disagreements you have with how she wants to do things and she will emotionally beat you up and make you feel like you're the one doing something wrong. When I finally made the decision to leave her, we shared some mutual friends and I spoke to some of her close friends who told me I was not her typical type. She needed somebody who would be a doormat to her wants. She had to have the full control of the relationship and had to go along with everything she wanted, whether it was honest or not. 
Everything you did had to be on her terms, period. Before going anywhere or doing anything where she had to meet new people, she would spend hours practicing what she would say and how she would say it. She would control the conversation to make sure it goes along how she planned it so she could use the scripts that she practiced. If I tried to defer from it or take the conversation in a different direction, she would get very quiet and upset while we were in public. But after, she would explode on me. Everything you did was wrong. How you felt about it never mattered. You were never allowed to feel anything other than how she expected you to feel. And expressing your feelings was wrong. And if I was upset that she lied to my friends or family, it was it would be turned around that I was, quote, unhappy. She just wanted them to like her. Um, he goes on to call her a narcissist, um, something about her anxiety, how she went on a campaign after they broke up to ruin his reputation to their mutual friends and lied and blah, blah, blah. It goes on, goes on. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting. So yeah, several of the comments are like, okay, Johnny, we see you, Johnny. We know that that's you, sir. And so, you know, it just really echoes a lot of the things that he was saying on the reunion and so i don't know y'all bow tells johnny that it was never her intention to treat him like that or make him feel that way and that she only ever wanted to be together and to not put him on an island but that she also feels like he put himself on an island thank you girl he wanted to be the victim so then kevin says even after all that johnny you still wanted to stay married to bow and bonnie johnny admits that he did not stay at the apartment for the last two weeks of their relationship and that he was breaking down and that whatever Bao was doing to him was working because it made him feel like a broken man. Now, like, I don't want to be insensitive to people who feel like they've been manipulated or abused or coerced or... <laughs> I know how to pronounce coerced, you guys. It's a it's a shout out to, to uh, Salt Lake City. Um, but I, you know... I don't know. Like, I just feel like what we saw of Bao was somebody who continuously tried with somebody who was, I think, very manipulative and coercive to her. So I just don't get it. And the math ain't mathin' for me. So Johnny goes on to claim that Bao had manipulated him by saying that a no on decision day would mean a breakup because he was going the Zach group and said, you know, maybe... It would be that we just didn't like what happened during our relationship, but we could see what happened after this. So she's the manipulative one by saying that when I, when, if you say you want a divorce from me, we're actually getting a divorce. That's manipulation. No, manipulation would be doing exactly what you do, which is trying to like poetically say that you're divorcing yourself from this relationship, but you want to keep trying behind the scenes. And then this man says the funniest thing that I've ever heard him say is like, what if outside of this, Bao is no longer insecure and worried about how people are going to perceive her? I don't know, Johnny. What if, what if it happened to you? What a different person we'd be getting. If we put both of you under the, that test of, of um, away from the cameras, I feel like one of you would be the same. Well, I feel like you both would be the same, but not in the way that you're thinking, Johnny. Not in the way that you're thinking. So Bao again lays down the hammer and lets the chopper spray all over Johnny's fake hair and says, did it ever occur to you that the person who cares about what her family and friends think is the real me? 
<laughs> like it's not me being fake. I actually feel this way. Johnny, you got all of me. You just didn't like what you got. And then Johnny says some bullshit about how even though he knew early on this marriage wasn't going to work, he just wanted that warmth and affection from his wife, and he didn't get that. So you're calling this chick fake and that you knew early on that this wasn't going to work and that you knew early on that she was fake and that you were drowning and you were a broken man, but still you thought that you deserved some sort of warmth and affection from her. You still wanted, I, I mean, the things that he said about her and how not attracted to her he was, not attracted to her personality, not attracted to her physically, not attracted to her sexually, and that you're disappointed in her for not giving you warmth and affection. Could we all remember that when basically every time she tried to do that, you went before the experts and said that she was like a child and it disgusted you? So she's right. You got Bao. You just didn't like what you got. And now you're upset with her that you didn't get that thing that was in your mind about a person who you really didn't know. I hate him. I hate him. Fortunately, we wrap it up pretty quickly. They both say that they're dating. Johnny makes some lame fucking dates about how, or lame jokes about how, um, oh God, he did say that he, he did say that he is, um, you know, he's really taken a lot out of this experiment and that he's now clocked in his sixth session of relationship therapy. And, you know, that's really why I just didn't want to come here and talk about all this stuff. Cause I just thought it would just come up again. I thought I had worked all this stuff out. <sighs> so they're both dating other people. Johnny says he's been dating somebody for a month. Kevin asks if it's Mirla, and he says no. Uh, Bao says that she's also dating somebody, but then she says, yeah, I don't really want to talk about it, which I thought was interesting. Um, yeah, that was basically it. I mean, Mirla and Johnny are BFFs, I guess, which makes a lot more sense as to why you guys were telling me on how an unfiltered Mirla was really... Uh, no, she didn't say stuff about Bao. She said stuff about Michaela. Well, that would make sense because I think, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, it makes sense why Mirla is saying weird stuff now. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Um, and then Johnny, like, tries to crack jokes and say, well, I heard that on the uh, Australian version of Married at First Sight that... Um, that they get to like do a wife swap and i was thinking during like the tough times of this experiment like gosh i would really like to do that <laughs> okay and you would have been a flop so whatever anyway the women have their segments and it was mostly boring except for i felt like michaela just reading the room i felt like michaela kept trying to insert herself into conversations talk about topics like they're talking about how they all get together how they have a friendship and there's a bond that can't be broken. But I think um, all the ladies have broken their bond with Michaela. And I don't think Michaela knows that. She seemed like she was talking real famil familiar. And just the looks that Bao and Brett were giving were like, mm -hmm. like being polite, like you're going out to drinks with the girls that you go, that you work with. And there was that weird girl and you're all just like, being very surface and polite 
and she's just not one of those things is not like the other. She's just kind of like an odd duck and it's not really working. And I don't think Michaela gets that. And it's awkward. <laughs> it's awkward. Anyway. Um, also, I'm not sure why it was uh, necessary to mention this, but Kevin does remind Brett that she was the only one to not consummate her marriage. And on top of that, she came into this experiment, not having had sex for two years. So uh, thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Um, I did laugh when Michaela says that she just straight up doesn't like Ryan. And that is no secret because she feels like Ryan was more invested in her relationship with Zach than his own relationship with Brett. And if maybe he had put some of that effort towards his marriage, that it would have been a lot more successful. <laughs> Kevin asks the rest of the ladies how they felt about Mirla and Gil breaking up. And Rachel's the only one who I felt said something interesting because she and Mirla, it seems like Rachel and Mirla are the closest out of the women. Definitely. Um, but Rachel says something like all the women said that they were shocked to find out that they had broken up. But Rachel says she was also shocked, but then Mirla kind of explained her side and she was, she's like, I get it because she says that Mirla and Gil were having a lot of similar issues that she was having with Jose. And then Mirla says that she feels like, I just don't feel like Gil brought out the best in me. And she brings up how much of a big deal Gil would make about her spending habits and calling her a diva all the time. Exactly what I thought. And she has every right, even if you guys... There's a point where the jokes go on for too long or they go on for too far. And it's like, do you really think... I mean, there's a truth... An ounce of truth in every joke, right? And so if you're perpetually bringing something up, like Gil was bringing up her spending habits and, and oh, she's a princess, she's a diva, blah, blah, blah. For him to just, it is on her to to communicate that she didn't like that, but it's also like, how could he have possibly felt that she did? It, it's just very interesting. And the, to me, when they said in part one, Gil was like, oh, I had no idea that that bothered her. I don't know. I just felt like that was very telling. He didn't even consider that. And even when they're like, oh, did you even like consider the fact that it bothered you? He's like, well, that just means that I like her. And I just joke because I like her. But it's like, okay, well, that obviously bothers her or bothered her. And in that moment, I don't know. It just was not the time to be defensive. But I don't know. Whatever. So then Kevin interviews the experts and Dr. Viviana actually says that they were probably more excited about these couples this season than ever before. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Well, Dr. Viviana, she wore a great dress. So, you know, great gowns, beautiful gowns. Um, That's the other part is shocking, but the dress is gorgeous. So they talk about Zach and Michaela and I don't know if I just manifested this or not, but I'm pretty sure that Dr. Pepper said that while Michaela was explosive, Zach was a horror instead of a helper and that she wishes that he would learn that (laughs) they didn't really have anything interesting to say about Brett and Ryan. So then we move on to Gil and Mirla and Dr. Viviana says that she loved their love story and how it was a slow burn from the beginning. And then Dr. Pepper brings up the fact that there were multiple occasions with Mirla and which she would say very nice and loving things about Gil. And Pastor Cal says, 
what we're seeing with Mirla is a complete and absolute fear because some people are afraid <laughs> some people are afraid of success and when you're afraid you're you tend to pick everything apart and magnify it so then we watch a, an extended clip of when Mirla met with Dr. Pepper after 25 cent martini night and Dr. Pepper seems kind of pissed off honestly and she says you know it was pretty disrespectful that Mirla came drunk and first I was like, eh, you're kind of being a stick in the mud. But then she brings up a good point of like, she knew that she had something important going on before she went to 25 cent martini night. You don't drink like that when you know that you have an important meeting like that. Like you don't do that on accident. And maybe that kind of bolsters Pastor Cal's opinion about her being scared that there might be something there. Do I think that Mirla has a fear? I, I don't know. I can't really speak to that. Uh, Pastor Cal and Dr. Viviana and, and Dr. Pepper certainly did later. So maybe I'll get into it at that point. But I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like uh, we'll get into that later. Okay. So then they get to Johnny and Bao and Pastor Cal and Dr. Viviana have a bit of a disagreement because Dr. Viviana says that she feels like you know, everybody wants to come out of a situation favorably. She feels as though Bao has systems in place to ensure that that happens with her. Whereas Pastor Cal says that he feels like Dr. Viviana's low-key calling Bao manipulative, which Dr. Viviana actually agrees to. She says, but everybody is, you know? So Pastor Cal says that he feels like, in a lot of ways, Johnny was over the top. And then Dr. Viviana continues to defend Johnny, but saying by saying that his yes on decision day, even though it made no sense compared to how he'd been acting was more of a, I'm a yes to the future and what could be. Okay. So then we get to Rachel and Jose's segment and Dr. Pepper's ready to go. She does not like Jose. Even though she says that he's a wonderful guy and blah, blah, blah. She also says that he has huge anger that he needs to work on. He's also really controlling. She doesn't think that Jose understands the extent of his controlling behaviors. And it's scary. And that Rachel has every right to be hesitant about a man who would do that to her. (laughs) So Dr. Viviana says that as a therapist, she understands that control has a lot to do with people wanting to decrease their anxiety but you need to deal with the anxiety first and try instead of trying to put people in a cage. Then they have the two mm, couples who said yes. The two couples who said yes on decision A come out to speak to the experts and Rachel and Jose come out first. And Rachel explains to the experts that they hit another roadblock after the experiment was over with moving in and arguing over little stuff. And she wondered if this is what their relationship would be like. So Dr. Pepper tells Rachel, she asks Rachel, like, what changed or what needs to change moving forward? And Rachel says that their arguments are really simple. Like, the stuff about the finances are things that just can be talked through with compromise. However, it's the way they communicate, like, the way Jose communicates specifically, and him being passive-aggressive that needs to change. So Dr. Pepper lets the chopper spray on Jose and says... Um, he has some anger that needs to be addressed by a professional. (laughs) And I don't know why I'm laughing. I'm just thinking about Jose's face during this is that Jose really, 
has I think he's kind of like Ryan, like he's terrified of women. <laughs> like Jose and Ryan are the guys that say that they want strong women, but they don't. You know? Then they get in front of Dr. Pepper and then they're terrified of her, you know? Pastor Cal asks Jose if it's safe to say that he's domineering, and Jose's like, uh, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, he just really did not want to admit it. And that was basically it. Marilyn and Gil come out. Dr. Pepper starts off immediately with Mirla and is like, you know what? I just don't understand. I don't understand how we got from point A to point B because there were several occasions with me, Mirla, in which you were very passionate and very uh, insistent that you were like dedicated to this relationship. And I have a clip that I want to play for you. So they play some footage of her on 25 cent martini night talking about how consistent Gil is and how he does things like he'll get her flowers every week he'll make the bed and it's like things that he doesn't have to do but he goes above and beyond and now looking at this through the lens of like hindsight I what I'm seeing is a woman who is like realizing that she has a great guy and in a way she can't believe it but I think how do I say? I mean, it still doesn't really speak to them having chemistry. Just being like, oh, he's so nice. Maybe she just doesn't like nice guys. Maybe that's scary to her. I don't know. But to me, it just felt like she was like, oh, gosh, I just. I can't believe that it's like, I don't know. I don't really know how to describe it. It just felt like she was like, I, this guy is, I had this guy on paper in my mind of the fantasy guy, what I wanted, what I needed, what I think I want, whatever. And he's doing all those things and more. And I kind of can't believe it. And I kind of can't believe that a guy like this is real. But it also doesn't mean that she loves him. And when I keep thinking about her saying, I'm making the choice to love you. And if you're looking at that through the lens of now, it's like, yeah, that's really telling. That's really telling. So Gil starts to tear up on the couch and says he didn't really know how Mirla really felt. And while he doesn't want to be with somebody who doesn't want to be with him, he just wished that as his wife, Mirla had told him that she had reservations. So then Dr. Viviana asks Mirla what she thinks about all of this. And she's like, well, I was honest with Gil. And I expressed that to him that I didn't feel the love initially. And I didn't feel the love the way I knew it to feel. And basically, when I knew that there was no coming, like I told Gil when I felt like there was no coming back to it. But Dr. Pepper continues with Mirla and saying that that doesn't add up because she knew Mirla said on multiple occasions, how much she cared for Gil. And then Dr. Pepper says, I just want to know what suddenly changed. Does it have to do with money? Because I want something specific, not this like amorphous feeling that you're pointing to. So Mirla says that finances were an issue from day one and Gil nods his head in agreement. And then she says, there were decisions made after decision day that made me feel like Gil wouldn't be able to make safe financial decisions for them in the future. 
And Pastor Cal's response is, you're terrified. And as a result, I feel like you made rash decisions based on fear. So here's where I'm getting a little bit annoyed because Pastor Cal starts preaching to her about how there's no logical reason that they could go from being seemingly happy to being broken up. But what he did not ask her is like, oh, explain more of that. Because if I'm hearing something happened, decisions were made, some situation happened that made her feel like he was not going to be making safe financial future, safe financial decisions for them as a family in the future, then what was it? What did he do? Because Gil didn't, we didn't see Gil deny it. He got real quiet. He didn't defend himself. So there must be some truth to it. And there must be something that went down. I don't know why Mirla didn't just say it. And I also don't understand why they didn't ask her what it was. Instead of just being like, you're afraid. You're afraid, girl. So I've been wondering this whole season why it is that Pastor Gal keeps going so hard for Gil. And then we find out. Because he tells Mirla, you know, when I entered my relationship and my marriage, I was broke. And he goes on this diatribe about how a wife tries to make, make the best out of her future with her husband and blah, blah, blah. But Meryl is like, well, it wasn't just a finances situation. That was something we could have worked through. It was a combination of money, values, attraction, and chemistry. And then Meryl says, what did you want me to do? Just stay in this marriage because he was happy even though I wasn't? And so Pastor Cal says some bullshit about how, you know, happiness should not be the main goal of your marriage. It should be a byproduct and how you should enter in a marriage wanting to have these goals. And that once you reach those goals as partners, that's when the happiness comes into play. Now, I'm not married. But I feel like happiness shouldn't just be a byproduct of your marriage because if we were all just if we were all the mindset of like well a marriage is not for happiness it's a marriage for the joining together of common goals which it is like if you want to have a certain lifestyle have kids all of those things are true but to say that happiness should be a byproduct of your marriage <laughs> then i don't no thank you I'll just stay single then because that's not, that's not the dream I was sold. I was told at least I was going to be happy, right? What people don't get divorced because we didn't, people get divorced because they're not happy, right? Right? I'm right on that, right? Like he, he's not making me feel like I'm, maybe I'm in, in the pl same plane as Zach now. Maybe I'm confused. I thought that was very weird. And then Dr. Dr. Viviana and Pastor Cal go so far as to suggest to Mirla that maybe marriage is not for her, like at all. Like maybe you should just should not get married. <laughs> that just felt like really extreme. Really extreme. She, she's saying, I didn't feel love with him in the way that I know love to feel. Shouldn't that be okay? You guys are just so upset that Gil is, in y'all's mind, a good guy that she's just like the mean bitch witch who destroyed his happiness. And like they practically 
all the experts and Kevin practically gave Gil a hand job after this about how your DMs are going to be popping. You're so great. You're perfect. You're beautiful. We love your beard. We love that fake Cartier net love bracelet that you have on. You're amazing. All the girls love you. You're going to have hoes in every area code. Get out there and be somebody, sister. And Mirla, good luck with those knee-high boots of yours. You're going to be single forever, you dumb wench. (laughs) Then we finish with the whole cast getting together. And it's pretty boring, honestly. Until they get to Kevin asking if any of them have gone on vacations together. And they mentioned how Mirla and Rachel had gone to Chicago, but then somebody chimes in and says, oh, but actually, Mirla, you and Johnny went to Cancun or somewhere in Mexico before that Chicago trip. So they're really, and I don't know why, really trying to play up and make cutesy and and do like a, oh, are they or are they not situation between Johnny and Mirla? And okay Uh, they were really really playing it up in a way that I thought was like confusing just in general to me but also like pretty disrespectful to Gil because like Gil's clearly going through it and I don't know they keep talking about how close they are but I just felt like Johnny was like "I I just don't feel like you make jokes about being with what is supposed to be your friend's ex-girl when you know he's clearly very upset about it? I just thought that was mean. Like, even if I feel that there's more to the story with Gil and Mirla, and I feel like Gil is not perfect, I do think that, like, he clearly had feelings for her. That's undeniable. And so for you guys to just be, like, fake flirting and being like, ooh, maybe we're dating, maybe we're not. Like, it's just, it's rude. I just thought that was really mean. Anyway. I just said that. I don't know why I had to repeat it. So anyway. (laughs) Um, So after that, they get into Michaela and Zach, and they start getting it over uh, the Hurricane K situation. And Michaela says, what I had uh, prophesized, theorized, theorized, which is that the situation with Zach leaving the retreat at night seemed like she was being triggered from the fact that her father had died in a car accident late at night, which is what she confirms. She had just been like, you know, Zach, we could have not talked. I could have given you your space. But in that moment, like, I was just feeling triggered. Now, is that fair to put on Zach? No. But is it also a situation in which Zach could have just been like, I hear what you're saying, and I'm sorry that that triggered you? Yes, I think he could have just said that. We all prefer and want a genuine apology from people, but there are also apologies that are acceptable where it's just like the right thing to do. And I think in this moment, it was the right thing to do because Michaela is not thinking, if she's thinking about her father that died in a very unexpected and tragic way, she's not thinking through a lens that is rational. And so you have to like take that pain into account 
a little you don't have to but just for the sake of like when he said something along the lines of like I was gonna be safe and I drowned like I didn't I obviously wasn't gonna go out there and get an accident like I'm not stupid it's like ew like obviously Michaela's dad didn't think he was gonna die he wasn't being stupid he got hit by a drunk driver right I don't know. But either way, I just felt like that was a situation where you could just be like, you know what? I hear you. I get it. That wasn't my goal. I wasn't trying to trigger you. I was just trying to get out of the situation. And like, if that upset you about your dad, I'm sorry. I think that's just like a very easy apology that you can give somebody. And it doesn't doesn't take anything away from you. It's just a nice thing to do. And you can move on. You know, but Zach can't do that because he's not a human. It was an incredibly awkward situation, a no-win situation for everybody. Everybody else was just sitting there. All the cast members were like, "Mm, silence. But then Kevin decides to get even more awkward by asking the cast members like, oh, who do you think, if you guys were to rematch the couples, who do you think would be a good match for each other? And... Gil gets up pretty much immediately. It was like, I'm going to head out. See y'all later. Like, I can't do this. I don't like this. Whatever. Michaela, seconds later, follows after him. Johnny, at one point, says, Kevin, I don't think he liked that answer. Or I don't think he liked that question. And Rachel says, Johnny, shut up. Back off. She doesn't back off. And I love that. I love that. Uh, I really, I really like that. Um, and I felt like that was very pointed. Like, interesting to me that Jose and Johnny are such good friends. But when it came to Gil being upset, let's break this down. Okay, Jose and Johnny BFFs, right? Mirla and Rachel BFFs. But then when it came down to Gil having his feelings hurt because of Johnny and Mirla. Tee hee hee, and in the corner, Rachel is basically defending Gil and being like, Back off, Johnny. Like, this isn't funny. I thought that was very interesting. And, you know, you know, I don't blame Mirla for not liking Johnny. (laughs) For sure. For sure. Anyway, that was basically it. Um, Backstage, Gil tells Michaela that he's done. And his explanation was that, you know, I came into this. Wanting to be light and bright and spread positivity and happiness to people. But it can't happen right now because I'm just like in a crappy mood. And I also feel like those people out there being very nonchalant about how like, oh, if things don't work out, we can just get a divorce. But like I came into this wanting to have a serious, monogamous, long lasting relationship. And basically like he just didn't want to play those games. And I... I I get that. I get that. But, um, yeah, that's it. I know that there was a, where are they now? I can't, (laughs) if you guys feel like you, there was something that you guys wanted to tell me, then feel free to hit me up in the DMS or you can email me at everyone's business, but mine at gmail.com. But as for me, no, ma'am. And I did look through Twitter for about three to five seconds and I saw several, <laughs> and I do mean several, screenshots of Ryan, I guess, had gone on a date with some chick who apparently had driven eight hours to go on a date with him. 
And listen, what I'm what I saw, even though there were several of them, they were all not great quality screenshots. And so I don't really want to go in on this girl or anybody's looks except for Jose's. But I will say that I didn't watch it, but everybody who was talking about Ryan thought and said, "Oh, this is Ryan's type." Excuse me? <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. Y'all can y'all can go down to Twitter and see what people said if you want to see that. But I didn't see anything else that was interesting. Oh, only that, uh, I guess the only person who talks to Michaela still out of the whole cast is Gil. <laughs> and that's it. I, I, y'all let me know if there was anything interesting or if I should watch it. But yeah, that that is it with Married at First Sight. <laughs> it's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. You know what? I'm gonna get Sierra. That's no. what I'm gonna do. Well, you f***ing clowns. and shut the f*** up. Wow. That's what. I'm not doing this anymore. No all of you. This Are is they in a fight? No. Again, again, and no. again. I'm so Please. sick of this. Dude, I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of this, dude. Just crying and crying and crying. Oh my god, you're Oh my god. Shut the f*** up. No. Oh my god. Dude, you're gonna talk to my fiance like that? She's talking about things that she has no skin wow. in the game. Wow. No skin in the game. Everyone Um, okay, so Austin is evil, and this is a Winter House finale recap. <laughs> so the episode starts with Sierra asking Austin if he is still in communication with Madison. This man straight up looks her in the eye and tells her no, even though he just spoke to her hours beforehand. And we find out later in the episode that they had this whole rendezvous the day before he left Vermont. They're on this trip for two and a half weeks. You can't claim I don't talk to my ex when she's only been blocked from your phone for like 10 days, if that. He's so wild. And if it could not get even more, if it could, if that's not psychotic enough, it gets worse. And he says, he hugs her and says, I just didn't want you to think I was hiding anything. Bro, you just lied to her. Like 15 seconds ago, you just lied. Okay. So he then tells Sierra that the catalyst to his meltdown was seeing Madison's face on a magazine which happened like the first two days of the trip. So what is he talking about? I truly cannot believe that this man whose jaw is just like hanging on a thread 
truly. Sitting there in heavy eyeliner, he's looking at his goddess right in the face and lying to her. This beautiful idiot, Sierra, <laughs> is not only completely buying what Austin is telling her, she's actually thanking him for being so open and honest. I mean, whew, this is about the most triggering episode of a show that I've watched in quite some time. <laughs> so they go back downstairs. Lindsay very quickly gets Austin and is like, uh, hey, do you, we still need to have a talk? Do you may, perhaps mean me to slap you in the face? Like, what's going on? Unfortunately, he declines that. But then she goes and talks to a few other people about Jason and how, like, into him she is. So Paige tells Lindsay that she needs to wait at least a year before she starts dating again. And Lindsay, queen, icon, she looks right at her, right at Paige's face and goes, how old are you? And Paige says 28. And Lindsay, 35-year-old Lindsay, says, exactly. <laughs> I love her. So then Craig tells Kyle that he looks like if Buddy the Elf did heroin. And then somehow this evolved into them both taking their shirts off and doing ballet. No explanation and no explanation needed, really. Um, After that, everybody goes to bed and then Jason tells Lindsay that he cares about her. And then we see Sierra asking Austin um, because they're in her room, her room that she shares with Paige. Hey, uh, do you want to go in the closet to check out my ski outfit? And then they checked out that ski outfit for a good 30 minutes. So I, I cannot imagine what it is that Austin does for 30 minutes, but you know, that's new information for me. Um, so then we get to the next morning, Craig wakes up and he gets a text from his girlfriend, Natalie. Natalie tells him that I just wanted to let you know before you find out from somebody else that I did reach out to Madison last night. We went out, we hung out. I just wanted to tell you. He he texts her back like, what? Why? And then Austin is like piddling around the house looking for his phone again with his hand down his pants. And he like piddles his way into Craig's room. And so Craig has to tell him, yo, Natalie had dinner and hung out with Madison last night. And Austin's like, no, you're lying. You're lying. That can't possibly be true. And so then Craig has to remind us in a confessional that Austin actually used to date Natalie. So I think if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not going to Google this and like, don't feel like telling me, like, don't feel the need to tell me because I don't care about anybody on Southern Charm this much, but uh, if I'm not wrong, I think Natalie, does she live in New York or was this a, were there two different girls that both Austin and Craig dated? Maybe there were two different girls, but anyway, the point is Austin dated Natalie prior to Craig and in like some sort of after show or watch what happens or a reunion or whatever, Madison threw some shade at Natalie and was like, Oh, don't you think that's like hitting a little too close to home? Like basically kind of like low key slut shaming her for dating both of them. So Craig says the fact that Natalie would like reach out to her after Madison said what she said, says a lot about Natalie's character that he didn't realize before. Also, he wants to break up with her anyway to be with Paige, but like, you know, we can move on from that. So, Ooh, speaking of, maybe we shouldn't move on from that. Did you guys see Ooh, woo, woo, the preview for Summer House that came at the end of Winter House of Craig and Paige in an escalator and the camera's like 15 feet away. So you can see that. It's just like a perfect shot. She's wearing this like tiny, you know, whatever the fuck 
fast fashion pink outfit. And he, like, really gives it to her. (laughs) Kissing-wise. I guess I should be clear. Um, He, like, looks her in the eye. And he grabs her, like, the back of her neck, like, in that just, like, ooh, kind of way. And, like, they kiss. And, like, she's grabbing the back of his head. And it's, like... I know that I went on a whole diatribe not too long ago about how I was not at all interested in the sex lives of Paige and Craig. I couldn't imagine it and didn't want to, but I take that all back. I want to see it and I would pay for it. It was hot. I didn't think Craig had swag like that, but honestly, sewing down south, you know, sewing down south. (laughs) Anyway, speaking of Paige, Sierra and Paige get in for one of their bed table talks and Paige tells Sierra that she had a revelation the night before. So to be clear, Sierra kicked Paige out of their bedroom the night before because obviously Austin's room doesn't have a closet for which they can fuck without the cameras. So Paige had to sleep with Andrea, something that she said that she was like really scared to do because she like couldn't keep her hands off of him and was really attracted to him, yada, yada, yada. So they're talking about Andrea and Paige says, you know, a Carrie Bradshaw, I had a thought, you know, I came to the realization that basically Andrea and women at large tend to put men at the helm and of the decision-making as to where their relationship could go. But she realized, why am I giving him all the power as to the future of our relationship? And like making myself feel bad because he's the type of guy that can walk into a room and get any girl, but I'm the kind of girl who can walk into a room and get any guy. So why does he have all the power? And in a confessional page says, Andrea's under the impression that I don't have five good looking guys that I'm texting back in the city. He's sorely mistaken about that. I just haven't broadcast it to the entire house, you know? Um, when we get back to New York, I don't even know if I could fit him in. So we'll see how that goes. You know, <laughs> this is a page that I really like. This is what I'm, I'm liking to see. Like I hated watching her simp for this man who does squats in white flip flops. It doesn't make any sense. I get that he's good looking and he's just not for me. And, but I can understand that like a lot of people find him very attractive but for Paige, I just see Paige with a guy who, like, is her a... Craig. I see her with Craig, honestly. Like, I honestly think that they're a really good match. Who did I talk about this with? I can't remember. You guys know who. Sorry. <laughs> no shade to who I talked about that with. But I think it's a really good match. And officially, I'm going to call for this. Like, uh, we need an official Bravo draft in which we do a switch We do a trade. Is that what people call it in sports? Yeah, a trade. Let's trade Craig for Sierra. I could see Sierra, like, Sierra to me, as a girl also from Georgia, I know, like, that Southern mentality when I see it. And I think Sierra's probably fine living in New York and she's getting, you know, doing what she can do. But at the end of the day, Sierra seems like a girl who is going to end up back down South. And so, like, let's just have her go to Charleston, and then we can have Craig. Craig is, he's, isn't he from Delaware? He's, like, kind of a northerner anyway, and I honestly think that Charleston is not good for him, clearly. You guys see the show. I think Craig, honestly, just needs 
a kick in the pants. Craig to me is kind of like Kyle 2.0. Like, I think at some point Craig is going to get it. And I think he is now. I think he stumbled into this pillow company and he seems to be taking every advantage that he can. And I just think that if he surrounds himself with the right people, I think Craig is, could really take off and be successful. Craig, what we know of him started off like on Southern Charm being like really ambitious, wanting to go into law. And then he started hanging out with these trust fund mailbox money fucks and was like, oh, well, I'm going to do that too, which is like whack of him. But I think if get him around Kyle, who's like an entrepreneur and Carl, and I think we could really see him blossom. Why am I giving Craig so much credit? <laughs> I keep, I always do this with Craig. I always do this. I have such short memory for him and I, it's the dimples. It's the dimples. That's my weakness. I have to admit it. Anyway, let me stop simping for Craig. Okay. And go back to the show. So the topic for the bed table talk switch shifts to Austin and Sierra. Um, and Sierra says that Austin started like how spilling the beans about like his past and how he and Madison had this messy relationship or breakup. And Paige asked, why do you think Austin brought that up last night? Like, what do you think happened? And she says, well, you know, I think people have the ex talk when they're really into somebody and they start to really like somebody and you want to see where the relationship goes. And now I'm a little bit scared because I don't know if it's going to get serious. And I just felt like, God, that's so sad. I, I, as a woman who's just like been beaten down and broken, I, I can't even remember a time where you thought that a guy bringing something up like that meant something good and that something good was coming down the pike because of it, you know? Oh, to have that again, to have that again. Anyway. Austin then stumbles into the kitchen. You know who Austin reminds me of? <laughs> you know the guy, I think his name was Bob from Schitt's Creek. He owned the garage. Remember how he would always have this like bit that nobody ever uh, acknowledged on the show? He would always like stumble in. It was like this half stumble, half jog into a scene. <laughs> That's how I always just imagined Austin just like shuffling around in this like weird half jog situation. Anyway, so he stumbles in the kitchen to find Kyle because Austin doesn't have anybody else to complain to at this point. And I know what he's doing. He's trying to make an ally out of Kyle. I know this. He could have spoken to Jason. He could have ripped Lindsay off of Jason's lap and had a conversation with him. He could like, I know he knows Kyle more than any other guy other than Craig, but he knew what he was doing talking to to Kyle about this. I, I know this to be true. So they sit down at the table and Austin is like, hey, man, uh, can I get some advice? Because, you know, uh, Sierra's going to be in the city and I'm going to be in Charleston. And what do I do? And Kyle looks at him and says, um, you have a long distance relationship. <laughs> and then there's just a couple sick seconds where they just look at each other like, huh. Like it just occurred to both of them. Like that is an option, isn't it? Wow. Okay. So. Austin then starts laying it down. He says, you know, I'm not really ready for that right now. And I'm just like curious to see where Sierra's head is at. And Kyle's like, well, honestly, I don't really know Sierra to let her guard down, but I think she is now with you. So you guys see what he's doing? He's having a conversation 
with Kyle. To see, he can, like, he knows that Kyle has a relationship with Sierra. And so if he, like, lays down these seeds of, like, I'm just a good guy or I was hesitant. And now he has an alibi. He has an alibi with Kyle. He'd be like, well, Austin did share this with me earlier. Like, he did kind of say this or, you know, but he's, like, a really good guy because he was just so tortured about it. You know, he was so upset and, like, he didn't know what to do. Like, I, I see right through this motherfucker. Anyway. Um, so then he tells Kyle that people like Sierra don't go on trees, but he's not in a place to be exclusive right now because he has a lot going on in his head. Like what? Whether or not you're going to, uh, decide whether or not to have Trop Hop be in business. Like, uh, uh, how many cans can I get this time? Uh, uh, medicine, uh, stumble. Okay. Um, so yeah, he says, In an interview that the night before he left Vermont, Madison came over, threw her arms around him and kissed him and told him not to forget about her. So you guys see what I mean? Like, doesn't that make the fact that he blocked her and had to unblock her to find out about her going to the hospital, like even more psychotic? Because we're just talking about like a short period of time. He has really been painting to all of us, the audience, Craig, everybody, that this is a relationship that ended a few months ago and that he's been single for a few months and that he's really made it seem like they didn't talk during this whole time, that he's blocked her and that he's just been tortured this whole time, just seeing her face in a tiny little magazine at the grocery store. But no, he talked to her two and a half weeks ago, my guy. Like, come on, <laughs> come on. Uh, so then he really starts to lay it on thick about how it just goes to show how timing's everything. And, you know, I wonder what it would be like if I had met Sierra like a year later. As somebody who is seemingly, you know, according to a psychologist, like a really big fan of toxic relationships, um, I just don't even understand what it is that Austin and Madison ever saw in each other. I think... Madison saw an opportunity to be on a show and Austin saw a hot girl. Other than that, like, I don't remember seeing them have like good times or real chemistry. Like you can look somebody in the eye longingly all you want, but if the chemistry is not there, then it's just not there. And I, it was never there with them. They were just two bored, toxic people who liked to and got off on the drama and like fucking with each other that's it that's it and I know that could be exciting and like addictive but like grow up grow up you know uh anyway like no not anyway like I'm just trying to imagine like seeing a guy in his driveway and be like don't forget about me as you go on this two-week trip like ew girl do better anyway (laughs) and it's Austin like girl anyway um So then Kyle basically tells him sarcastically, like, well, don't sweat it because you're only dealing with real people's feelings here, you know, not no big deal. So everybody wakes up, they're going skiing and it ends up being like a 55, kind of a warm day. Luke goes outside to find out his beloved igloo has seen better days for sure. Like yesterday when it was cold, um, (laughs) <laughs> There's a whole montage in black and white of uh, Luke cursing about how he didn't want to make this igloo, but how he was so committed to it. And, 
You know? It, it really never came to fruition. Really much like everything with Luke. Everything we see on the show is just like, we're a real good attempt. And then what do we get? Just like a third of a melted igloo at the end. And I'm here for it, but it's the truth and we need to say it. So everyone dresses up because I guess Austin lived at West at some point and said that they had a tradition of going out and like wacky costumes and going skiing and snowboarding. So everybody puts on their finest uh, mullet wig and multicolored tutu and they hit the slopes and shred, shred the gnar or whatever. Um, Lindsay takes Austin aside right before they leave and asks him, do you remember what you said to me last night? And He's like, oh, uh, uh, and she's like, well, you said that you were going to talk to Sierra and that you wanted to cry to me afterwards. And Austin's just like, he like kind of blanks her and she's like, nah, like, I just don't really want to talk about it. And once they get out to the slopes, Lindsay then tells Amanda that she's like, something's weird. Austin said something weird to me. I, I think it has something to do with the fact that he's not over his ex yet. I could have called this shit. And then Amanda's like, I'm just so confused because in her mind, she's thinking that Sierra and Austin are like the greatest couple that she's seen since herself and Kyle, I guess. Um, So then we get to a scene with Lindsay and Jason that is so wild. I could not believe (laughs) it was such a like Nancy Myers could not have written the scene better. It was romantic comedy down boots it they're sitting on the slopes beautiful scenery they're in their wacky costumes and he jason looks down at Lindsay. like the ultimate gift for a girl like myself and Lindsay is exactly what jason just did he goes hey i just want to make sure we're on the same page about wanting to be together because i want to be with you and i just want to make sure that we're having the talk to to confirm this oh This was also, like, the immediate moment where I was like, I don't trust Jason, you know? (laughs) Like, it was three seconds of me being like, oh, my God, this is everything I could have ever imagined, to being like, no, there's something wrong with him. Abort mission. Abort mission. Get out. (laughs) Which is, you know, honestly, great great timing for me getting a uh, a code to a psychological help service because, you know... Clearly, I need it. Clearly, I need it. So, getcerebral.com slash mine. <laughs> well, Lindsay repeats to Jason, again, that she's trying to kidnap him and says, you know, I think we're both on the same page with each other. It just seems like everybody else is confused. And Jason goes, you just made me so happy. Like, he's so relieved that she likes him. He likes her. They've made it official, kind of. And then he says, he really, like... If you could not lay it on thicker and, and re- like he really sends it home by saying, um, should we put a title on what we're doing? And Lindsay goes, you know, I don't think we need a title. And he says, yeah, okay. I mean, this man knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> he has been in the room where these conversations have happened. He has seen every episode of Sex in the City. He has read He's Just Not That Into You. He knows the playbook, and he is playing it well. And I'm not mad at him, but I'm also like, get this demon away from me. Because <laughs> I don't trust him. And then, like, if that was not enough, 
Lindsay says, I'm going to need you to, to uh, carry me down the mountain. And he gets her up on his back, puts her snowboard in one hand, and snow, snowboards with her down the mountain. Everybody is so impressed. Lindsay says, yeah, I know. I'm Now I'm going to have to fuck him. Like, yeah, like, I'm sure you're real upset about that, Lindsay. <laughs> so anyway, they get back from skiing. Craig goes to Paige and Sierra's room and proposes that they have a sleepover for their last night. He's like, oh, you know, I'm really going to miss you guys. And they're like, oh, yeah. Um, so Craig says in a confessional he's really not looking forward to going back home because he's been having a really great time here. And he also realized that he's not really missing Natalie and combined with her hanging out with Madison the night before he now knows that Natalie is not the woman for him, which is why he proposed that he have a sleepover with Paige the night before they left. So anyway, uh, Amanda finds Kyle chilling with a mullet wig and some sort of lover boy concoction with a penis straw. And she says, get that straw out of your mouth, buddy. We have a serious talk about to happen. So she tells him what Lindsay said. So now we're just playing telephone. So Amanda's now Austin said something weird to Lindsay. Lindsay went back to Austin. He said something weird. So she told Amanda. Now Amanda's telling Kyle what happened and she's like, I'm just confused about why he would have a conversation with Sierra that would end up with him running to Lindsay afterwards in tears. And so Kyle says, you know, Sierra and Austin are separated by a couple states. And Amanda says, yeah, okay, but if he's not seeing a future with her now or anytime soon, he needs to tell her that. And Kyle says, yeah, like, it kind of seems like uh, Sierra really likes him. I, I like watching them. <laughs> they both agreed that they enjoyed watching them flirt and be uh, cuddly with one another. And Amanda says, I really need to protect Sierra's heart, but I just don't want to tell her anything unless I'm sure that there's something that I need to tell her. So then they're going to have one final theme party for the night. And we find out that uh, pa- uh, Lindsay is <laughs> the host and the theme of the party category is boobs okay apparently it is the third anniversary of her breast implants and despite the internet trolls saying that they're too far apart she loves them and she wants to celebrate them and everybody will be celebrating them so i guess this theme seems to be boob jobs but also just general plastic surgery um a lot of people put boobs under their shirts there's a a lot of um plastic surgery uh, arrows on other people's breasts to denote what's happening. Um, For some reason, Austin dresses up in a plain gray sweatshirt. uh, Some like Saved by the Bell print would look like swim trunks. But you never know with Charleston, you know, never know with a Southern guy. They love a a loud print uh, short short. If you, if you didn't know Um, a pink tutu. And then he took Sierra's door knocker earrings that said baby girl. And I knew even have not having watched the rest of this episode, that this was going to be a real point of chuckles for me. Just seeing this dope and some big chunky door knocker earrings that said baby girl. (laughs) Help us all. The party begins and Austin starts to fuck boy his way out of the relationship with Sierra by planting the seed of 
they're dancing and he looks right in her eyes and says, we're going to leave soon. What happens when you break my heart? And then Sierra says, well, I've been thinking the same thing, but vice versa. And she starts baby talking him about like, oh, we'll face, you're going to FaceTime me every night. And Amanda's just staring at them with that like white tape that you put on after people get the nose jobs with like a slice of pepperoni pizza in her hand. Just like, you motherfucker. (laughs) So then Amanda takes Julia aside. Have we ever seen Julia and Amanda have a conversation? And what happened to this situation where Gabrielle said that Kyle was hitting on her? Why did we not see that? I'm going to need a shit they didn't show. Anyway, um, Amanda takes Julia aside and says, I need to have a conversation with Austin and Sierra before everybody gets too drunk. And in a confessional, she starts talking about how I've seen Austin and Sierra through the entirety of this relationship for the past two weeks. And I just think that they're actually really perfect for each other. And I just want to talk to Austin first to see if the rumors are true and also encourage him to have a conversation with Sierra. So Amanda gets Austin. They go into a room and she starts off by saying, I heard from Kyle that you might not be super invested in this relationship. So I just want to make sure if it's true or not, because If it is true, you really need to talk to Sierra about that. And Austin just stares at her and he's just like, you know, Amanda, like in the nicest way I can put this, this is none of your fucking business. (laughs) And then he's like, I just haven't even had a talk chance to talk to Sierra. Amanda's like, yeah, well, that's what I mean. Like if it's really not that big of a deal and what I'm hearing is not true, then I'll stay out of it. And Austin's like, well, you need to stay out of it anyway, because it's not your business. And Amanda says, well, Sierra is my business. And then they start yelling. Everybody in the house can hear. Lindsay and Jason start uh, hiding in a corner and and making kisses at each other because they just don't want to be in the middle of the drama. Um, Kyle, Paige, and Julia are outside of the room where Amanda and Austin are talking. And Paige and Julia are telling Kyle, like, maybe you should go in there and be, you know, like, back your girl up a bit. Well, Austin starts getting heated. He starts stumbling over his words and talking about like, oh, this is so silly. And then he gets up and says, you know what? Like, I'm just going to go to get Sierra. So you fucking clowns will shut the fuck up. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) Now let's reiterate that he's saying this in a pink tutu and a gray sweater with the the baby girl door knocker earrings. It's just really, it's funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it's, it's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous. Amanda starts crying and screaming like, I can't do this anymore. Fuck all of this. And Kyle tries to stop Austin in the hallway to figure out what's going on. And Austin starts yelling about like, you know, I'm trying. And then Amanda completely flips the fuck out. At this point, Sierra is now holding her Amanda back. And she screams to Austin, you're a fucking piece of shit, Austin. I hope you go to hell. (laughs) So Kyle finally has to be like, dude, you need to stop talking to my fiance crazy. And Austin keeps yelling in the hall, like Amanda, she's like, you know, she has no skin in the game. Like he's Dorinda <laughs> or something. So Amanda is now like flipped out. She's crying. She's there in like a Lisa Rinna duster and a, a good old sturdy bra that all of us big titty ladies know, just like that sturdy, plain nude colored bra. <laughs> The one that just gets you through the day. And she, they all, all the girls end up in the room while Amanda starts to collect herself. So Sierra only at this point knows that Amanda is screaming at Austin to go to hell. 
Austin screaming to Kyle that Amanda has no skin in the game. So she's trying to piece everything together. But thankfully for Paige, she just lays it on completely straight and is like, you know what? Um, What you see is happening is because of Austin. And she says, you know, Austin told Kyle that he didn't see having a long distance relationship with you. But Amanda wasn't going to bring that information to you, Sierra, until she knew it was true. Sierra completely looks like a deer in headlights. Like she's really just trying to absorb Amanda crying two feet away from her. Paige looking at her saying that the man that she's really falling for doesn't want a long distance relationship. And she goes into like nurse mode, right? Like just kind of like, okay, I'm in the midst of a lot of chaos right now. Let's compartmentalize and and keep it together. So she tells Sierra, she's like, Sierra tells Amanda, like, don't worry about it. I'm going to talk to him about him right now. But when she goes to get Austin, (laughs) she grabs his arm in a way that's like, you better get the fuck over here and have this conversation with me right now. Also, at some point, Austin lost one of his baby girl earrings. And that's just like even funnier to me. Anyway, um, so Lindsay finally is like not scared anymore. Okay. She comes outside and tells Gabby, like, the truth is going to come out about Austin wanting to do long distance with Sierra. And that, that's why everybody's been screaming. All right, let's take a little break before we continue. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. So Austin then takes Sierra into a room and he's like, you know, this isn't the avenue that I wanted to talk to you about this. And Sierra's like, well, that's where we're at now. So are you being defensive about something? And Austin says, you know, something about how he didn't come into this house with six of his share house friends all jumping down people's throats. And Sierra's like, well, Amanda cares about me. So of course she's going to go hard for me if she has information that's going to upset me. Like, I tell Amanda everything. Obviously, I told her about you and how I feel about you. And then Austin goes to see her and says, okay, well, tell me about that. He wants this girl that is sitting on his dirty, unvacuumed floor about the fact that he doesn't want to do a long distance relationship. He wants her to expose her feelings to him, knowing that he doesn't see a future with her. He's sick. He's a sick man. 
Sierra is like fully crying at this point. She says she was scared to open up or have feelings for Austin because she just had a feeling that it was going to end up like this. And then Austin says, I want to see you as much as I can. And then asks her why she's stressing out for no reason. I want to see you as much as I can is a very vague statement and not anything near. I want to continue this relationship with you, regardless of whether it's long distance or not. That's just like, yeah, if I feel like coming up to New York for a weekend, I'm probably going to crash with you. Like, you know, I like to go to uh, fish shows for Madison Square Garden uh, on New Year's Eve. So, you know, those tickets are going to be a lot of money. So it'll save me hundreds of dollars if I just crash and fuck you while I'm there. Um, and then if you feel like coming down to Charleston, we can do that. I don't know why you would come, but like if you do and I have Madison block that weekend, we can also hang out and you can stay in my sweaty little apartment and I can fuck you there. You know, that's what that means. Like I will just see if I happen to come up for watch what happens live. Maybe you can be in the audience, something like that, you know? So then he looks in Sierra's eyes and tells her to ask him anything she wants. And she says, are you ready for this? And he says, you know, I didn't think that I was, but you can't keep your eyes closed because I think, I don't know, like, is it okay to say that I don't know after two and a half weeks? Which is the the only thing that he said that's been remotely reasonable this whole time. Like, yeah, let's get some perspective. It has only been a couple weeks and it should be okay to say... I'm not entirely sure why he couldn't have just said that. I don't know, but whatever. So Zira says, yeah, that's totally fine to say that you're not sure. And then she says, in my mind, long distance shouldn't matter because if you want to make it work, you will. And then Austin can't come up with any more lies. So he just looks at Sierra and says, you know, I'm, I'm drunk and I just can't right now. So Sierra says, okay, well, we'll just table this conversation for later She goes into her bedroom and as she's getting ready, she says, I'm so mad. (laughs) So she goes to sleep by herself and then Austin follows her and asks if he can sleep next to her. And then he says some bullshit about like, uh, how how am I supposed to sleep? Like, you know, I can't sleep like now like this Uh, when we're like this. Okay. Meanwhile, I've completely forgotten that Paige and Andrea have something. And even though, Earlier in the episode, Paige says that she was ready to be out here in these streets. Andrea says that he is the opposite, that he went into this house talking to multiple chicks and texting them. But after spending all this time with Paige, he doesn't feel the need to text them anymore. And he wants Paige to himself. We all saw how that went. So anyway, it's the final morning. And Sierra and Austin are in bed and they're talking about the dating conversation. Like, you know, like, let's have the dating conversation. And Austin finally says, I don't think I'm ready to date. I have some things that I need to work on for myself, but I want to see you again. And I hope that we can make plans to have you come to Charleston or, you know, vice versa. Sierra thanks him for being honest, but in a confessional, she says, you know, she starts to get emotional and says, you know, at the end of the day, I'm a hopeless romantic and... I thought that I might have had my fairy tale ending with Austin. <laughs> with Austin. Anyway, but that's not what happened. <laughs> so everybody starts getting ready to pack, and Andrea asks Paige when her parents are coming to pick her up. And then he tells her that he not only made a reservation at an Italian restaurant, 
uh, for Tuesday. He also wants to hang out with her on Wednesday and have a movie night like they had talked about earlier. In a confessional, Paige says, I knew this was going to happen. You can't be around me for 17 days and not fall in love with me. I'm funny and I'm cute at the same time. (laughs) The production is like, oh, Gabby, you're here. Let's get a wrangle you for a final uh, interview. So they ask her if it was a tough vacation for her. And she says, yeah, like I kind of saw myself having some sort of romance in Vermont at some point in my life. Didn't happen. (laughs) Cut to Luke in his room packing. And I actually paused the screen to see how many hockey sticks he brought. And it was 11. (laughs) I'm assuming that's enough for like a whole team, like a whole game. I'm not going to Google it again. Um, But Luke, sweet, sweet, our sweet summer child. (laughs) Anyway, um, what happens after that? Oh, so Paige asks Sierra, like what happened with your conversation with Austin? And she says, you know, it could have been better. And Austin basically talked about how he got out of a relationship however long ago. And she said, I appreciate him being honest about that. But of course, like, of course, I had to pick somebody who's emotionally unavailable. Paige asks what Austin and Sierra are going to do now. And she's like, you know, I don't know. He really makes me laugh. We have such a good time together. This is like the first time in a while I've actually liked somebody. TBD. So everybody starts to leave. Gabby leaves first. Um, Paige's parents come and Andrea meets them and helps her dad pack her boxes of like Fashion Nova outfits back into the car and (laughs) Paige and her mom who Paige looks just like her mother. So they're like watching Andrea and her dad pack and just being like, he's cute, right? Like, yeah, he's really cute. (laughs) He's nice and he's Italian, like really cute. Um, So then our final big conversation happens with Austin and Sierra and Sierra says, you know, obviously this wasn't really what I hoped for, but I'm still down to talk and, you know, kiss sometimes. And in a confessional, Austin says, I've never seen a more succinct, like this should be the official mission statement for the fuckboys of America. It is no edits. No edits whatsoever. Austin says, and I quote in a confessional, I don't know what to say to her or what could make anything better. We just had the most amazing two weeks, and but of course everything good must come to an end. But if you're okay with me not being fully able to commit at this moment, then I fully welcome that. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I mean, my God, this man truly vomitrocious. I just want to like talk some shop here. I really, really, really loved this show. I think for like, is this, I mean, I guess we have to put it up there in the pantheon of like short lived, short run spinoffs, like relationship. Remember that you guys? Let's dust off the cobwebs of that memory because I know only like 11 people watched it. Um, Jackson, Brittany, take Kentucky. These, this is far and away <laughs> the best 
the best spinoff that we've had that I can remember um, outside of like Candy's wedding, <laughs> which was a true, true hot mess. If you guys um, don't know, I did the whole recap of Candy's wedding series on my Patreon. So if you want to pe- check that out, it's a uh, patreon.com slash EBBM podcast. Um, oh, so what am I talking about? The fire and away the best, best spinoff. They should definitely keep this going. I think we could get two to three more seasons out of Winter House. Who could we keep and who do we want to stay? I think if we do away with... Like, okay, were any of the newbies really people that we need to keep? I gotta say, I would be willing to keep Gabby... Even though after her Luke situation, she really became a non-factor. But I liked her energy. I'm, I'm like really talking like a like a after sports game after show highlights show. I, you guys know what I mean. <laughs> so um, I'm feeling like Charles Barkley right now. Um, I, I liked her energy. She had really good reality TV show energy. I don't know if it's Bravo show or again, like I said, maybe she should go over to the challenge, but I liked her. Something about her on TV, I really enjoyed. Julia, no thank you. Jason, already broken up with Lindsay, so what's the point? Um, Andrea, absolutely not, even though he seems to be like hanging out with the cast of Summer House more than everybody else, from what I see, so that's too bad. But like, what good is he if he's not with Paige? If Gabby could have another guy that she was attracted to, like she was with Luke, then I say give her a contract right now, for sure. Um, would I like to see Carl there? I always I miss my Carl, but I don't know. I don't know if he was, like, really necessary. I think Carl might need, like, some time. I don't know if he needs to be meeting anybody new. <laughs> Just keep him in Summer House. Um, I liked everybody from Summer House on the show, but I think, and it seemed like they kind of realized this halfway through the series that we didn't need to focus on Kyle and Amanda because there really wasn't much. And honestly, like, Kyle talking to other people was way more entertaining than him complaining about the rooms, getting drunk, not fighting, but kind of fighting with Amanda. Like, the times where he was, like, getting into other people's business, that was the best. And same for Amanda. <laughs> um, Always want Lindsay. I want Lindsay on every Bravo show <laughs> for the rest of time. And, yeah, I would like to see some fresh laces. Bring back Gabby. Bring back Gap- guys for Gabby to thirst over. Bring back uh, guys for Lindsay to thirst over. Maybe have them go head to head, you know? Um, or if Julia's single, again, we can have her come back as a single woman. I would maybe be interested in that. Just, I just need new, new guys. Just really just new guys, I think. And just bring Craig to Summer House permanently. I think we need that. Even though I saw Paige was, was filming for Southern Charm. I think we could just wrap this up and have him move up to New York. Just let this be Craig's last season. 
he moves up, Sierra moves down to Charleston, and just see what happens from there. I would like that. I would really like that. Anyway, um, that's it for me, you guys. Thank you guys for being patient. Thank you guys for, um, yeah, being so kind and nice about me taking a little bit of a break. And if you're able to, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star review. I would really, really appreciate that. So thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. Bye.